Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I'm very pleased to have with us Bill Trankel, and Bill is the president of the Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors. And the topic, of course, today is marine surveys. We had a request for this topic, and it is a hole that we've kind of left in all of the information we've put out on our podcast about the boat buying process. So we thought it was a great idea, and Bill, thankfully, was willing to help us. So before we jump right into the conversation, I do want to take just a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Bill Trinkle, thank you for joining me today. Uh, my pleasure, Kimberly. We appreciate it because this is a topic that uh, I think confuses a lot of boat buyers, particularly if they have never bought a boat or at least not one that really warranted the full survey process. So start though, like uh, introduce yourself to us a little bit more. Tell us about yourself and your experiences as a marine surveyor. Well, I grew up around the water. I on, on Long Island Sound on the East Coast, and I went to New York Maritime College of Fort Schuyler because of my interest in boats and boating that I acquired from my dad, who was in the in the Navy. So I studied marine engineering and um, at New York Maritime College and graduated degree with a, in engineering and a U.S. Coast Guard unlimited engineer's license, steam and diesel. Um, but I, at the time, I'd also been on the sailing team and had raced, raced small boats, and they had a great fleet of boats there that we got to race, but we also worked on every, every day and all, all winter long. So I learned a lot of skills about taking care of a lot of different kinds of boats uh, besides the ones I had learned when I was with, uh, growing up at, at, with my dad's boats. So um, I led me into a career in, in boating. I ended up doing the America's Cup with Dennis Connor, eight America's Cups with Dennis Connor, and um, also campaign built and campaign racing boats for the uh, Admiral's Cup and Kenwood Cup. Uh, a lot of lot of big racing events. I uh, was involved with two uh, Whitbread Round the World race campaigns as the manager, uh, designing, building, and campaigning the boat around the world. Um, so I, I kind of was in the professional sailing world for many years, uh, but from very much from the technical side, because I was an engineer, that part of the, those racing programs, I was, that was a big part of my involvement was the technical side. And so when I finally retired from the America's cup after the 2003 America's cup in uh, Auckland, New Zealand, I was looking at what I was going to do next. And I was working with some startup companies and, um, but I had a friend who was a Marine surveyor who uh, had actually surveyed some of our boats after some accidents. And uh, it was always interest me that, that career. So um, uh, Todd Schwede was the, uh, he had a company called Todd and Associates in San Diego. And uh, so I met with him and we talked about it and it seemed like it was a good fit for my, uh, with my skill set. And experience uh, because I had done everything from the designing, building, campaigning, being a boat captain, sailing across the oceans. So it was it was a natural fit for what uh, marine surveyors do, um, which is besides just you know doing pre-purchase surveys and insurance surveys, we also do a lot of damage investigations, and that's that's a big part of what we do is the forensic investigations of why boats blow up, sink, 
fail, how collisions happen, who's at fault, those type of things. So it was a natural fit. So I started doing that in, in 2004, part-time, then got more into it. And uh, uh, by 2006, I was a accredited marine surveyor with Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors and doing it pretty much full-time, uh, working with Todd Schwady as a, as a mentor, who was a very experienced surveyor. So it was a great opportunity for me to really learn. Even though I had the technical skills, I had to learn how to put those into writing and write proper reports and, and express things properly um, that in the way they are done in the in the tradition of uh, marine survey, which is it's very specific how reports have to be written and presented and what information should be in a marine survey. So that's kind of what um, I've been doing that now. So, you know, it's it's uh, 16 years now almost uh, that I've been doing it and um, I've really enjoyed it. It's a, a very interesting. Every day is different. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's obviously quite an extensive boating pedigree. So thank you for sharing that with us. And um, we're certainly glad you're willing to share some of that experience with us today. We hope that most loopers are going to need a pre-purchase survey um, not so much a forensic survey after something goes wrong. Um, and then we're going to focus on that today is the pre-purchase survey. So for uh, those who are new to boating, perhaps uh, new to this whole process, the best way we can kind of equate that to something folks are a little bit more familiar with is it's like the home inspection if you were buying a home. So how do you recommend that purchasers go about finding a surveyor? Because obviously they need somebody who is very good at what they do um, and somebody that they can trust. So what's the procedure usually for finding that right surveyor for them? Well, the, the best way is to, is to talk to other people, you know, you know, that have boats and have had surveys. Um, it's not the best thing is to ask your yacht broker for a surveyor recommendation because there's a little bit of a conflict there because the surveyor, the broker's trying to sell the boat and the surveyor is trying to find out if there's anything wrong with the boat. So, you know, there, there is a case where, uh, sometimes surveyors, they work too closely with the brokers. <laughs> so it's better to get an independent uh, 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 recommendation. You know, you could go to a boat yards or also a good place to uh, find out uh, who the best surveyor in town is. Uh -huh. And, um, but it, you know, it's very important to get a pre-purchase survey because we, we do in their insurance claims work. A lot of times we'll end up with an insurance claim and find out somebody just bought the boat and they bought it without a Marine survey and they didn't, know that the whole back end of the boat was rotted out and the rudder was going to just uh, pull out of the back of the boat or something like that. So right. very important to get the survey and it's good to get a recommendation from boat yard or a boating neighbor or somebody else who's had an experience with a particular uh, surveyor. Now, as we mentioned, you're the president of the Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors or SAMS. Uh, how important is it that the marine surveyor be accredited and is SAMS a good resource for finding a good surveyor? Yes, you know, there. Once you choose a surveyor, you want to make sure they are an accredited marine surveyor, either with SAMS or with NAMS, the National Association of Marine Surveyors. Uh, those associations, their their surveyors are accepted by the banks and the insurance companies um, because we have an accreditation process. There's an apprenticeship, and there's testing and continuing education, um, and a, a very strict code of ethics that uh, we we uh, enforce very closely. And so uh, the insurance companies and banks know that, so they want to they want to have surveyors there that are done that are actually accredited. Uh, there are some other surveyor associations out there that are 
don't really have real accreditation. It, you know, they're, ba they're basically online uh, accreditations and, and um, some of those will not be accepted by the insurance companies and, and banks. So you, you really do want to make sure that you, you get a, a NAMS or a SAMS um, surveyor. Um, they do, you can go to the web, the SAMS website. If you go and you, you search in your area, you will actually find a listing of the surveyors. And, and uh, you know, one way to proceed in trying to find your surveyor is to print out that list and then talk to the boat yards and your neighbors and say, do you know uh, this surveyor? Uh, what do you think? and get kind of get their recommendation on a few different options because uh, surveyors are generally very busy there. Uh, so you can have a long lead time, you know, <laughs> we'll get a call. Oh, I'm, I'm having my boat hauled out tomorrow. I'm, I'm trying to close this, you know, can you, can you come do my survey? But um, right now all the surveyors are very busy. The, the market's pretty hot <laughs> for, for buying and selling boats. So the pre-purchase surveys surveyors are um, really tied up and it could be a couple of weeks before you can get one. So uh, you want to have a couple options when you're doing your exploration and, and try to do it as early as possible. Yeah. You mentioned searching your lo local area uh, for a lot of great loop boats, the brokers service, all over, you know, different parts of the Great Loop um, and travel for the survey. That's less common for the surveyor themselves though, correct? It, it, typically they work within a specific geographic area? Yeah, well, it's just a matter of economics. Um, you know, sometimes there'll be people who have a favorite survey and they'll fly. I've flown all over the country, you know, to do surveys all over the world um, because somebody wants me to do their survey. So it's just a matter of the cost, the travel cost that you have to add on to the cost of the survey. And so it's more convenient, cheaper if you use a local surveyor. Yeah. Right. And for those listening, just by the way, the uh, Great Loop org the forum for our members we see lots of questions in there uh, asking for if anyone knows a reputable or in a good surveyor in a specific area so that's another resource besides asking your friends and neighbors lots of the association members have been through this process and can help recommend somebody for you question we get a lot bill is do you really need two surveyors one for the engine and one for the hull what is your take on that uh, yeah, it's really um, a good idea if you're buying a, a powerboat to have the have a engine surveyor and a and a hull surveyor because it's a big it's a big job, and uh, the hull surveyor is more of a generalist. And, you know, they look at a lot of different types of boats and systems all the time. Um, where the engine surveyor, you want to get one that's really kind of a specialist in your type of, of engine. If you have Cummins, you want to you want to have a Cummins specialist or a Volvo Penta specialist. You want to have the right the right person looking at the engine that knows the the nuances of, of engines, of those types of engines that can really identify any problems where, you know, if you have a general mechanic or a general surveyor, do your engines, look at your engine, they may miss something that's a, a, a more common uh, problem with those type of engines. So I always recommend that they yeah, get an engine survey because it's such a big part of when you buy a boat, you know, if you, you, you buy a hundred thousand dollar boat, and if you have problems with the engines, you could have to. You could easily spend one hundred thousand dollars replacing two big diesel engines. So you, yeah, you know, absolutely, it's, it's worth spending the money to get the get the proper engine survey. And if you have a sailboat, it's also the same thing as with the rig a rig survey. Uh, most surveyors aren't going to go up the mast and do that as well. Where you really want to have a specialist rigger do that. They have the right climbing equipment and. They look at they look at mass all the time, so it's it's you know you want to make sure you cover the mast as well.
Good to know. Thank you for that. So kind of moving on to survey day, you, you mentioned that you know, scheduling can be an issue if somebody's looking for a survey right away. And I would imagine scheduling gets even more challenging when you are dealing with two very busy surveyors and some brokers who typically the buyer and the seller's broker will often attend the survey as well as the buyer and the seller. So getting everybody's schedules together, how does that typically work? Who's the person responsible for lining everybody up? Yeah, it's, it, it, it is complicated. Um, normally, it would be the, um, the, the buyer would, would actually be the one who contracts with the, with the surveyor and with the engine, you know, the engine and hull surveyor, because he's the one who's ultimately, you know, he wants them to report to him. You know, you don't want the broker in the middle of that process. You want to be directly be, be the surveyor to the boat buyer. Okay, um, makes sense. So, so they're the ones who, you know, he, he's the one who really should be the buyer should be doing that. And he has to, of course, um, coordinate with through his broker with, with the seller's broker to arrange for the boat to get to the boat yard for the for the haul out and when the sea trial is going to be. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts and it takes takes some coordination. And, um, you know, if there's if there's two brokers involved, it can definitely get get a little get a little complicated. Lots of communication. You know, you can you can end up with a 50 email chain on, on <laughs> setting up a, a major survey. So, yeah. And it, it usually yeah. works out in the end. But kind of walk yeah. us through survey day. You know, you mentioned the haul out. Um, you know, what's the start of the survey? What what is what happens first? When is the sea trial? How does that you typically progress? Well, a lot of it just it depends on the the logistics for the location and the timing of for everybody. Um, See so if the boat depending on when the boat yard's going to haul the boat. A lot of times, you'll the boat will get moved over to the boat yard in the first thing in the morning, and the surveyor can start the onboard part of the of the project. Um, quite often, when the boat's being moved from the normal slip to the boat yard, is when you'd have the the mechanic on board. Um, and you would do the um, the underway trial while the, while you're going from the slip to the boatyard. That's an opportunity to to get the boat up, run up, run the boat up to speed, see how it maneuvers and handles, and 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 test test the systems that have to be tested while the boat's underway. Things like trim tabs and steering systems, and and um, test the bow thruster when you're coming into the dock. So those things can be done. Uh, when the with the mechanic on board who's doing the engine survey and then when the boat's tied up at the dock at the at the boat yard they can continue on while the shipyard gets ready to haul the boat because sometimes you know it doesn't happen when it's scheduled <laughs> they say oh yeah we're going to haul it at nine o'clock and it may be 10 o'clock and maybe 11 o'clock they don't you know depending on the last boat that they hauled what kind of delays so in the meantime you can the surveyor can keep moving forward on on the survey, um, and then once the once the boat's out of the water, then um, you know usually boat the out of the water part of it is only about an hour. Um, the surveyor will go around with a with a hammer and tap out the hull to um, see if there's any delamination. Um, a good a good surveyor with a hammer can can tap and find out if there's any weaknesses in the hull, and that's an important part of the survey. Um, and a lot of things, a lot of of um, boat owners don't know and, and wouldn't do themselves. Um, but you can find problems, especially if it's a wooden boat, you can find a lot of, you can find rot. If it's a fiberglass boat, you can find out if there's any delamination or weakness. Um, the surveyor will be looking around at the running gear, the shafts, props, cutlass bearings, uh, looking at the, at the condition of the paint on the, the bottom paint, looking at the through holes, the external portion of the through holes. 
um, you know, there's screens, there's, there's flanges on the through holes. You have to check the conditions of all those. Um, there's through holes along the water line. Sometimes you have those plastic, white plastic through holes everybody sees. And, you know, there's cracks in those that people don't realize that, the, you know, unless you're really careful and looking at things that close, you may not realize there's a crack right in this through hole on the water line. And all of a sudden that, if that flange breaks off and the hose comes, it goes inside the boat, you can flood your boat because it's an air if it's an air conditioning overboard or something like that so you know a very careful look at all the fittings that around the, uh, below the water line and at the water line um will be done and um and also the surveyor will be looking up, up at the boat from the from below the boat looking up at the top sides looking for any waviness any any distortions that could indicate that maybe some of the internal structures coming loose or where there's some general weakness in the hull that's distorting it because if you have a, a shiny boat and you look up you can see the bulkheads and, and things along the side and you'll also be looking for any damage any prior damage any repairs um you'd be looking at the underside of the of the uh of the hull to deck joint where the rub rail is and seeing if there's any rust dripping down there that maybe indicates there's water getting in there and deteriorating the fastener so you know there's there's a multitude of things but you know generally the bottom of the boat can be done in about an hour looking for blisters uh that's a common a common thing that happens that you know people buy a boat and they haul it out and it has lots of blisters and and everybody wants to know about that and um um, my general feeling just quickly on blisters is, you know, they're, they're just certain something that's repairable, you know, unless, unless they're big, bigger than a, a silver dollar, then, you know, they're just something that can be ground out and, and generally and, and patched. And that's good it's to not know, a major I know, deal. You yeah. Know, a lot and, of people it, really worry about blisters when they see them during the survey. Yeah. And some people, oh, the surveyor failed the boat because it had blisters. Yeah. Well, um, the way to look at it is you don't, we don't fail a boat. We, we find it, we find what's, what's wrong with a discrepancy. And, and then um, we make a recommendation and then it's just what, what is the cost to do that repair? Right. So it may be, it may be there's blisters and that may be a $5,000 repair. And that's just something that has to get taken into account when the, when the, de the deal is closed. Yeah. yeah. One, one um, thing I, I hear out there when I'm talking to brokers who attend so many surveys and, and some of the surveyors, uh, owners knowing what to expect from the survey himself in terms of how interactive is this survey process? Um, do most surveyors kind of, you know, want the purchaser to kind of step back and stay out of their way so they can get through the process? Or are they looking to have the purchaser right there by their side so they can show them the things they're finding? And if it's a do-it-yourself or sometimes they want to be digging into all the crevices and looking at everything side by side with the surveyor, is that a, a personal preference for the survey or is there a typical expectation that a surveyor might have on the level of interactivity with the buyer during the actual survey? It really is a personal preference. There, there are some surveyors who want to, you know, have the person there and talk to them the whole way through. Uh, others, you know, want to have the, the buyer there so they can show them when they find something that might be it might be an issue so that they're aware of it firsthand rather than just seeing it in writing or in a photograph. That's how I prefer to do it. Um, if you're doing your survey and somebody's there asking questions the whole time, it, it distracts you from the flow of what you're trying to do. You know, we're, we're trying to look for very, a lot of these things are very subtle, subtle things that, that are wrong with the boat that we're trying to find. And if somebody's talking, you know, you lose track and you, you don't see something that, you know, it's pretty easy to miss something that you need to see. 
but it is nice when when somebody's there and you can say okay see this you know see this frame see this the tabbing has come loose here under the under the v-birth you know see where this tabbing has come loose on this frame you know this has to be fixed this is a structural yeah. problem and you can show it to them firsthand so they understand you know just a matter of time and money it could be fixed but it's yeah. but just so you're aware that you know it's the big thing you know so it's, it's it is sometimes nice to have the have the the buyer there but it they have to kind of you know they can't be distracting the surveyor and right. then some surveyors don't even want to have the buyer on on at all they want to just do their job you know present their report you know with the list of recommendations and photographs and and just say these this is what i found yeah so um, if the, especially if the with covid covid has changed it a lot because absolutely you know, you know boats are generally small and and so it hasn't most of the surveyors that had the people stay off the boat while they do the survey right um, but then you know they might have them stand on the dock and then come on board very quick and say okay go look under under there and and there's you know you'll see see what i'm talking about you know what's going on with those through holes underneath the in the head or something like that so right. it's kind of changed how we do surveys a little bit um luckily things are getting better now so now we can get back to more of the normal mode of having <laughs> being on board together with the buyer yeah, and as we do get back to that normal mode, so would you recommend then that if a buyer is a very hands-on type of person, likes to get their hands dirty, plans to do some of the maintenance work themselves, should they be asking questions when they're interviewing the surveyor beforehand, before they hire, to see how they're going to react to the buyer being that involved in the process? Is that something that most surveyors would have an answer for if you yeah oh yeah for for sure it's it's good for the buyer to say well you know can i be on board while while you do your survey mm -hmm. and then the surveyor can say yes you can be on board but you know please wait for your questions until you know we get done with with, with certain areas of the boat then you can ask the questions and uh but you know please just stand back while you know they just then you can set up the set up the guardrails that, that need to be set up right whatever perfect. depending on the surveyor's preference right. yeah Okay, let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about what happens after the survey day and what the reporting is like that you'll get afterwards. So we'll be back in a moment. Welcome to Beneteau by Invitation. This new concept was born from a very simple idea. Offer your family an opportunity to meet ours in a fun, exclusive, and safe environment that mirrors the way our boats feel. Jump aboard our latest models, go for a private sea trial, and let us talk together about our common passion for the sea. There's a Beneteau by Invitation event coming soon to a harbor near you, so come experience what everyone is talking about. Contact your local dealer, get your boarding pass, and we will see you on the water. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Bill Trenkel. Bill is a longtime marine surveyor and the president of the Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors, also known as SAMS. And he is walking us through the survey process today. Bill, one of the things we haven't covered yet is expected cost. And I know that can vary by region, um, but any kind of rules of thumb or benchmarks you can give us, and I know you're on the West Coast, but even if, if you can just tell us what's kind of the general thought in your area, even though that's not part of the loop, it might be helpful to set some expectations for some folks. Um, you know, it, it, it does vary greatly. Um, you know, you'll pay more for a more experienced surveyor than you will for a, a more inexperienced surveyor. I'd say the range, you know, the range is probably about, you know, you know, 15 to between 15 and $25 a foot ballpark. It's quite mm -hmm. a big range, but, um, well, that's okay. That's kind of necessary given that yeah. you know, we're dealing with a, a, a large geographic area. Yeah. 
and um, you're, you're going to pay more for a more experienced, um, a better surveyor. <laughs> and uh, you also, the other, some surveyors work by the hour. And so you might, you might be paying, you know, 125 to $140 an hour um, to have them do the survey that way. They may, they may prefer to do it that way. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it's some, it's just a preference of the surveyor and, and also as far as what they charge, because some, some are just retired guys doing, doing this as a sideline. And, and, and then there's others who are professionals who do this as their business. Okay. And, and so they're going to be a little more expensive, but they're more, they're going to be the better surveyors. Right. So after the survey day is completed, the actual deliverable that the buyer can expect is the survey report. So how long does that typically take to prepare and what should you expect to have included in that report? Yeah. Well, usually most surveyors try to get the survey report done, you know, within about three business days after the survey. Uh, it's always something that should be discussed after the survey is done because the surveyor, depending on his schedule, if he's, you know, traveling or something like that, that may be hard to do. So it's, it's, but it is good to communicate between the uh, owner or the buyer and the surveyor of when that's going to be delivered. Um, you know, there may be something like a closing date that's important, you know, that, that it has to be done by that, by that date and everybody needs to be aware. Um, so it's, it can, it can vary, but generally, you know, about three days after the survey, they should get, get a written report. Um, and it should be, you know, it should be a very substantial report with a lot of detail. Um, there should be photographs and, uh, included, there should be a evaluation of what the surveyor believes the, the vessel is worth. Uh, fair market value. Uh, that may the fair market value may not be what the buyer is is paying for the boat, um, because that that can that can be different. Uh-huh. Um, but that's what the surveyor when he does his research, he's going to come up with what's called a fair market value, um, which is gen- generally what what the boat is worth. But it, it can vary a little bit depending on um, other other issues involved. You know, whether it's a distress sale or something like that. Right. Now, you touched on this earlier, but I often hear people say, well, I surveyed the boat and it, it failed survey. Boat doesn't really fail a survey, correct? It, issues are pointed out, but then it's up to the purchaser to either accept or reject the vessel based on what's found in the survey. Is that accurate? That, that's correct. Yeah. The, um, I mean, sometimes the survey will be when they, you know, let's say the boat comes out of the water and there, you know, there it's just the boats, the boats completely delaminated or the big cracks around the keel. And, you know, it's the, uh, it's going to be a big repair. And so the surveyor may know, let the buyer know, you know, this is, this is a big deal. You know, this is, you know, and is this something you're willing, you know, what you're interested in is that, you know, we can fix this can all, always be fixed, but it's going to be a certain amount of money and you can negotiate with the buyer or the seller on this. But, you know, sometimes buyers don't want to get into that can of worms. And so the surveyor will give them the opportunity and then they can actually stop the survey right there. Okay. And, and the surveyor will, you know, refund part of the part of the survey money and, and not produce a report. So that that's one way a survey can end. Uh, another is that the, um, like a failed survey, I, I don't even know what a failed survey really mm-hmm. is besides that, because you can have every, any boat can have problems and it's going to have problems. And you're going to have a list of recommendations. You know, you can have 50, hundred recommendations on a boat and, and each one of those is a, is a cost to repair. <laughs> and that, that's something that could be negotiated in the, in the deal or 
the seller could say, well, it's, it's as is, where is, and that's then the, uh, the, se- the buyer has to take that into account, what those costs are to remedy all the re- recommendations will be. And the recommendations are set up and basically usually most surveyors do it in three categories. And one would be regulatory, which would be fire extinguishers, flares, Coast Guard rules, you know, uh, and, and federal, federal regulations. The next one would be, um, more, um, maintenance related things that need to be done to make the boat safely operated and, and keep its value. And then the, and that might be, you know, the, 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 um, the through holes are stiff and so they need to be maintained. Um, it might be, there's some, some tabbing, there's a crack at some tabbing that should be addressed and, uh, there's some leaks around windows, those type of things. And the third thing would be the notes, surveyor notes. And these would be more like cosmetic issues that, you know, that aren't, aren't important to the operation of the maintenance boat, but should be taken care of. You know, if there's a lot of stress fractures in the deck, it's, it's good to paint over those because you don't want water getting into them, but they're mostly cosmetic. They're not really affecting the structure of the boat. Um, So, so those, once you have those different recommendations, then you can figure out what the priorities are. And some, some, the the buyer's not going to worry about those notes as cosmetic things. They don't care. They, you know, they know they're paying the right, you know, they're paying the right amount for the boat. They can live with some, some uh, cosmetic flaws. Uh-huh. Um, some don't want. Some people don't want to see any flaws. They want. They want the boat perfect. Yeah. Right. Um, and, so and then so that survey report and the recommendations yeah. from that are um, shared with others, like financing and insurance. Correct. So it can affect the terms of those services, and also, of course, potentially negotiate a different price for the purchase. Um, is that all? Correct. Yeah, it'll affect the purchase, and then and the insurance company when they see the report, when you if you're using the report to get the boat insured, yeah, they'll look at the recommendation as well. Okay, and they may they may say, okay, you have to comply with these recommendations before we'll insure you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to you have to replace the fire extinguishers and put up the date flares and and you know they add a, add a, a automatic bilge pump and add a carbon monoxide detector and a smoke detector. So they'll, they may have a list of requirements that have to be complied with before they'll insure it. And likewise, the bank, the same, the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's very helpful to understand the process. One thing I hear buyers uh, very irritated with on a regular basis is that if a boat went to survey and for any reason was then rejected by the buyer, um, there seems to be an expectation from some, the, the next buyer, if they know that that boat's gone to survey, they expect to be privy to that survey report. Is that ever shared or is that strictly the property of the, the potential buyer who paid for it? It's the property of the, of the buyer who paid for it. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. their conf, it's a confidential document between, between them and they, he can share it as much as he wants or doesn't want to share it. Um, you know, it's, it's a, uh, the seller is often trying to always try, tries to get the buyer, the buyer who paid for that survey to, you know, let it, let, let the next buyer use that survey. Um, surveyors don't really like that because they, when we survey a boat, it's, it's surveyed the condition on that particular day of that survey. Yeah. And most of the surveys will have in there in the document will say for the express purpose, you know, of this client. And, right. and so it, it can't be used for insurance or, or bank or anything like that. Buying a, It may give you an idea of the condition of the boat, but you can't use it for financing or insuring the boat. So you have, yeah. to, get a, you have to get your own survey. 
Yeah. And, but a lot I, of times the surveyor will, if you ask, if you, you can ask that same surveyor to resurvey the boat and they'll give it, do it for you at a discount. Yeah. That's good to know because there seems to be this perception and I've heard it come up multiple times lately that, um, you know, perhaps the broker is actually hiding something from the, the previous survey and it's just really not the case. It's just not the broker's call to release that or not release it. It's not their document. So I appreciate exactly. you straightening that exactly. out. Yeah. Um, Probably the only question I have left for you is, uh, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you would like buyers to know before going to survey? As, as a person doing lots and lots of surveys for them, is there anything you wish that, that they understood going in that perhaps is a misconception? Um, I think we kind of hit on them. I mean, the important thing is to, is to make sure you get one before you mm -hmm. buy the boat, no matter how, how nice the boat looks and, and how the broker says, this is a cream puff and, you know, you don't need a survey. This is, this boat does, is perfect the way it is. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to buy the boat without having a survey because you're going to need it anyway, if you're going to get the boat insured or if you're mm -hmm. going to finance it. So, you know, better to get it done before you put down your money and, and commit, commit to buying the boat. Absolutely. Uh, and the and contract, start... yeah, and the contract should reflect that, you know, you're going to, you're purchasing this boat. If you put it pause down, it's subject to survey. And so that you're not committed until, you know, to buy the boat, unless the boat, you get a survey that you're satisfied with. Yeah. So that's an, that's one of the important things. And the other important thing is that the, is that the buyer understands that, you know, the surveyor does his best possible job that he can do, you know, mm -hmm. They don't, we don't have x-ray vision. We don't, you know, we're humans, you know, sometimes you do miss things, you know, there's yeah. a lots of things and lots of areas on a boat. And sometimes people get angry because they had a survey and then the surveyor missed something. And it was just, you know, it, it, sometimes it, it happens and, and just, that's just part of the, the business. And, oh. um, and the other is just, is, is uh, we talked about a little bit is the, is how, how you're going to interact the day of the survey with the mm -hmm. surveyor, that that should be understood. And so there's no hard feelings when the surveyor says, Hey, if you could just stay on the dock, let me go through my thing. And then I'll, I'll, I'll come up on deck and I'll go through my list of recommendations with you. And then we can go down and look at them individually if we want, or just tag along with me and I'll show, show you things as I go through. So, you know, set those expectations that day of the survey. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Bill, this is great advice. Um, we've been chatting with Bill Trenkel. Bill is the president of the Society of Accredited Marine Surveyors, also known as SAMS. He is with Todd and Associates out of San Diego. Bill, this has really been enlightening. It's not a subject we've covered in depth before, I don't think, that I can remember. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing this expertise and this knowledge with us today. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, thank you for the great questions. Yeah, my pleasure. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.